Yes, of course. EQ is very important. I actually had a manager who for years just, just, just really explicitly, blatantly, consistently shamed me for not being emotional enough. Melanie, you need more empathy. And she just really drilled into me that this was a bad thing for HR. You need to have emotions. You need to really care about happiness. And I have to say, I actually have found that to be an incredible weakness for people in the HR field. I think that the greatest value you can bring when dealing with high emotion situations is actually being able to set your own emotions aside for a second and look at things really neutrally. I think that uh, high-functioning HR people, they lead with logic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the HR Heretics podcast, where we get into the real talk of company construction. These are the conversations that happen between founders, chief people officers, and board members behind closed doors. We're heretics in this industry because there's a culture of silence around important business topics, especially as it relates to people. But on the show, we tell the truth and expect the same from our guests. Today, we're talking to Melanie Naranjo, which I'm so excited about. Melanie is currently the VP of People at Athena, which is an all-in-one compliance training platform that helps HR teams meet their compliance needs while building better workplaces. This was one of my favorite conversations yet because Melanie is incredibly candid and she's in the seat today. She talked a lot about underperformance, why they don't do pips at Athena, as well as her relationship with Roxanne, Athena's CEO. It was a no BS convo. We talked about giving and receiving feedback among leadership teams, what that looks like when it goes wrong, especially at the C-suite level, what it feels like. I especially love Melanie's takes on the current sentiment in HR, why there's some bitterness in the industry, why people are experiencing burnout and a loss of motivation, and what she thinks people need to be thinking about going forward. Here's our interview with Melanie. Please like, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. As always, share it with your friends and enemies. Melanie, thanks for joining HR Heretics. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting with you two today. So happy. Hell yeah. So I actually want to get into Athena first. So it's interesting that you are an HR person at an HR company. Tell us a little bit about Athena and how you met Roxanne and that whole story, please. Oh gosh, it's a wild fun ride. So, so Athena, we're a compliance company, which, uh, let's just put it out there. That sounds pretty boring if you think about it, right? Okay. Harassment prevention training, not very exciting, right? Why did I join? Um, I joined because I'm a big fan of training and development and they ask really smart questions in the interview process, so on and so forth. But what I think is more interesting is, is two things. Um, one is the truth is that when I joined Athena, Roxanne, who's my CEO, and, and my manager, um, she really did think that HR was just payroll and benefits. And for the record, she's been open about this and she has since changed her mind. But what's fascinating to me on that front is that we are literally an HR company and even within, uh, sorry, an HR tech company. And even within an HR tech company who is selling to HR buyers, this is a, this is a misunderstanding. This is an actual problem. Um, and so, you know, luckily Roxanne had lots of humility, asked lots of questions. She has since changed her mind. We work so closely together. The second thing, reason why I think it's so fascinating is because now, now that we are past that, right? Now that we are, you know, in sync, we chat, we really see each other as um, thought leaders and partners and all of that stuff. Um, the 
amount of impact that I've been able to have from the HR perspective, given that I literally am the person that we are selling to, has been just huge. It's phenomenal. I'm hosting webinars. We just hosted our first ever conference. We're, we're doing all these amazing things that, quite frankly, I think too many companies don't do because they don't understand the power of their HR team. And so the journey really has been um, not an incredibly atypical one from the beginning in the sense that I joined a company that was misalignment around what an HR person could do, but I think quickly became atypical in that they were open, they realized what an HR person could do, and now we've just been working so, so well together. And I have to say, um, for anyone who's unhappy at their current job and is looking for a better way, I think working for an HR tech company that gets the HR business case, it just takes such a load off your, your plate when you don't have to constantly fight to prove the value of HR. That was that was so fun working at it, when I was at Hired, another HR tech company, and even now at Pendo because one of our products is Pendo for employees. I mean, you're just salesperson, a marketer, product person, all of that. It's it's it adds a whole another element. But is it actually fun right now? Is it fun right now, Melanie? Because like HR budgets have been hammered, and I'm curious, like, is it actually fun right now? Because it doesn't seem to me like it would be fun. You know what? Fair question. Fair question. I think that we are very lucky in that we are in the HR tech space that's required, right? Harassment prevention training is not really optional. You need it. The question is, who are you going to use for it? And has that gotten trickier over time? Sure. But we we are in a fortunate position. Now, if you were to ask me, you know, if we were in, I don't know, just general training and development, or if we were in the ATS space, um, yeah, that would be very tough right now. Uh, there's no mincing words around that. I mean, webinars are always fun, Nolan. They're always fun. Yeah, we webinars aren't fun when your buyer can't buy anything, though. I'm just saying, I was on a customer call this morning, another one after this, and people still care about the employee experience. <laughs> people still are hiring. You know, it, it has been sporadic and certain parts of the industry have been hit, but it's still it's still important. I think, I think that that's very real. Melanie, given that you have spent a lot of time, I'm assuming spent a lot of time with Athena's buyer. Tell us like, what are your general learnings of HR leaders and what are your takeaways? Oh, that's such a great question because I think there are so many different uh, categories of HR leaders. Um, you've got people who are first-time HR leaders. Maybe they've been thrown into it unwillingly. So I see this quite often. Um, you you join as a recruiter for a startup and suddenly you're the head of HR, but you've never done anything in the HR space. Now you need to advocate for HR things. You're responsible for hiring a compliance provider. You're, you don't even know what the compliance laws are. So I think there's that category of leader. Then there's a leader who's, you know, they've been in the game for a while. They've been here maybe 10, 15, 20 years. And, and they're more thought leaders. They're beyond that. But, you know, maybe they're sick of doing all the admin stuff. They don't want to be thinking about your compliance or your your another performance review. They're sort of like past that already. Um, my, my take on it is that Honestly, I think that we are all super disconnected and we're not talking to each other. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, sense of isolation. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of bitterness happening. And I have all the empathy in the world that I just, I think that our jobs keep getting harder and harder and we don't have an outlet to, to sort of, um, talk about some of the things that we're struggling with. 
But I also think, and again, I say this with all the empathy in the world, I also think that sometimes because we are so siloed, because we are so um, uh, disparate, uh, we, we sort of get in the cycle of autopilot and dwelling in what's not working versus hey, this isn't working. Let's do something different. Hey, let's let this isn't working. Let's find a solution. Hey, I'm really frustrated about this. Do you know what? I'm tired of venting. I'm going to actually do something about it. Uh, I, I think I think we're in this really tough spot right now where people are really struggling to sort of pull themselves out of that that dark place. Why do you think that is? You mentioned bitterness. I absolutely noticed this as it's, it's kind of like a big theme right now in my from my perspective in the HR community. Why do you think that is? And, I, and I'd love to know what does it look like, Melanie? Like, what does it look and feel like? What does that mean? So, okay. What is, I'll start with the, your question, uh, Kelly. So I think what it looks like is, to be honest, I don't think that you always get the best of us. I think that sometimes we are half-assing it. Sometimes we are just doing the bare minimum to get by because we are so burnt out. We are so exhausted. And you know what? The last time I put my heart and soul into a project, it got vetoed or I got buy-in to do it. I spent three months working on it. And then at the last minute, I got all this pushback and never mind, it's not going to happen. Go do something else, right? And so again, like I, I always approach with empathy. I don't think anyone's doing it intentionally, but I think understandably after months, years of this kind of response, it ends up looking like I'm just not going to give you my all anymore because I, I physically, mentally cannot anymore. Now, in terms of knowing your question, I think, you know, I think we have to take a step back to really understand the full context here, which is, this is my opinion, okay? I think HR is a really unique industry in that, uh, or, or field in that up until, I want to say the last few years, I don't think most people sort of grew up dreaming of being in HR. I don't think HR was sort of this, you know, uh, it, it, this fancy title. That's what you want to be. You know, your parents are, you know, encouraging you to do this. I think HR was a field and a function that people sort of fell into either because they couldn't find something else. They weren't sure what else they wanted to do. Somebody saw some empathy in them and they were like, clearly you must be in HR. And for the record, I put myself in this bucket. I didn't dream of being in HR. I, I literally, right? I, I literally could not get anything else. I was like, please, somebody hire me. And HR was the only one that was interested. Okay. Um, and so I think you bring together a bunch of people who might not necessarily have been passionate about this thing. And for the record, I want to be fully cognizant and understanding of the fact that some people did. Some people got their master's degrees for this, right? Um, but many people did not. You just kind of fell into it. So I think you, you put together a bunch of people who maybe this wasn't even their dream to begin with. Then on top of that, you don't really empower them. So you say, hey, you've got a bunch of responsibility, but no authority. Your, your authority comes with the power to influence. That's your authority. And so then then, right, after you give them this responsibility, they bring things to you. They don't do it in the right way. Say, for example, they just don't have business savvy. So they think that an effective business case is because the employees would really like it. I just, I got the vibe. They're really upset. And I think this would make them happy. And then what happens? The CEO dismisses them because they're not speaking the CEO's language. They're using terms like happiness. They're using terms like it feels like the right thing to do. Of course, they're being dismissed, right? But no one takes the time to give them that feedback explicitly and 
and say, hey, let me explain to you why your case was significantly less compelling than the case that our head of sales just brought to me. Nobody does that. So we just get in the cycle of feeling disempowered, um, not, not getting ahead, no one giving us the feedback on how to get better. And eventually, understandably, we just assume, well, either I suck or they just don't get me. So I'm going to give up. And that's a very common cycle and pattern of behavior that I have unfortunately witnessed. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I think that there's so much more we can do in the world of HR and we just haven't pushed it. I think the bar has been low for a really long time. And I think it's coming from all sides. I think it's coming from people not empowering us. And I think it's coming from us really struggling to continue to push ourselves when we're just not getting uh, any sort of support or affirmation. I mean, the most common uh, measurement of success in HR is, oh, I didn't get any, any employee complaints. It must have been okay. I guess it was fine because people aren't angry, right? Like that, I, I, understandably, people are going to lose steam and motivation. We'll be right back in a moment after a word from our sponsors. Hey, everybody. Your co-host Nolan here. High performance and great culture should never be at odds. They're better together. With Lattice People Management Platform, companies efficiently run people programs that create enviable cultures where employees want to do their best work. Serving thousands of customers of all sizes globally, Lattice helps everyone work better together. Learn why companies from Slack to the LA Dodgers choose Lattice. Visit Lattice.com slash HRHeretics today. That's Lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com. Have you ever had a negative experience hiring an executive? I certainly did at Carta and DoorDash, and that's why I started Continuum, the modern AI-powered executive search firm. Continuum connects executives and senior operators to venture-backed tech companies for fractional and full-time roles. You could post any executive-level role to Continuum's marketplace and search through our database of world-class experienced leaders. Continuum will intelligently surface your opportunity to relevant operators. They'll express interest and show up in your inbox. It's like magic. There's no platform fee or hidden cost. You only pay the person you hire, and you can cancel at any time. If you're thinking about hiring an exec in the middle of a search right now or don't know how to solve a problem, I get it. Scaling is hard. Companies like Athletic Greens, Weights and Biases, Masari, and more than 100 other tech companies have turned to Continuum for help solving their people ops, go-to-market, engineering, and finance challenges. So check out Continuum in the description below. Ping me on LinkedIn if you have any questions or head to joincontinuum.com. I mean, generally speaking, you'd assume those of us at HR, heads of people have high EQ, right? We have good intuition. We have high EQ. We empathize. And it's also one of those roles where you can't just go do stuff, right? Like I was hanging out with a salesperson. They just go do it. I got this. And they just kind of like paint and they go. And we we have to be a lot more methodical. You have to win hearts and minds. You have to influence people. And that takes a big toll. I mean, it's a different weight of, of stuff here. And you're right. When it keeps getting shut down, 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 and you have high EQ, I mean, you're kind of like, why am I going to keep running my head against the wall? That, that, that phenomenon, I think, is very real. I actually have a pretty strong opinion on something you just said in terms of the, the EQ side of things. Yes, of course, EQ is very important. We need to have it, right? It's a muscle you learn if you don't have it naturally. And also, I actually had a manager who for years just, just, just really explicitly, blatantly, consistently shamed me for not being emotional enough 
Melanie, you need more empathy. Melanie, this person said this thing and I didn't see a single emotion cross your face. And she just really drilled into me that this was a bad thing for HR. You need to have emotions. You need to really care about happiness. You need all these things. And I have to say, I have to say, I actually have found that to be an incredible weakness for people in the HR field. I think that the greatest value you can bring when dealing with high emotion situations is actually being able to set your own emotions aside for a second and look at things really neutrally. I think that uh, high-functioning HR people actually don't lead with their emotions. They lead with logic. They lead with, um, you know, st- with data, statistics. I don't think, you know, I think it's actually, I, I agree. Again, we-, we need to have high EQ. And also, I actually think it's it's just wrong when people are sort of like, oh, you're an emotional person. You like empathize a ton. You would be great in HR. Actually, I don't know that you would be great in HR because there are going to be a lot of high-stress emotional situations and you might end up taking sides. You might not be able to handle it. Um, And so, yeah, it's for me, that's something that I think about a lot just because, again, it's personal to me. But but I I remember being shamed for not being, quote unquote, emotional enough. And I I just I have not found that to be a thing that has actually held me back in my career. That is so well said, Melanie. It's not about it's I think it's actually about emotional regulation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. also using logic to solve problems, because typically when emotion is involved, Stakes are high and problem is probably really big. And, and so in order to solve that problem, having emotional maturity to stay in control of those emotions, to deescalate folks, and then to switch the, the mode in our brain into more of logic problem solving, I think gets things done significantly faster with less, you know, bodies in the wake. And so I, I, I totally agree with you. But I don't see like the HR community pushing for what you just said. And I'm, I'm left wondering like why that is the case and why your opinion is not more widely shared. That's a great question. I mean, do you know what? I'll answer it, but I'm curious to hear what you two think, actually. Well, and I had a question on community because I feel like every time I look up, there's a this community or this group, this alias, this organization, and yet... I think you're right. There's still a lot of silos. So I'm also wondering, like, wh- what is the nut to crack here? Like, you know, and then and the, the conversations those communities have, they're very different than when Nolan calls me and we just kind of like go at it and talk about real things. So I want to know what what that is. Isn't that interesting, Kelly? Right. So I'll answer it first. I think that there is a monoculture in HR that is accepted. And then anything outside of that monoculture that doesn't appeal to HR safety is the way I would describe it. So making HR leaders feel safe with their venting is it's thought of as like, well, you're on the outside and you're not here to help us. That's my personal belief in what I've experienced. Okay. Okay. Spicy. I love it. Okay. Kelly. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. But you said something early to answer your question, Melanie, around expectations, Uh, And I think a lot of people, to your point, fell into HR, right? And to me, following that thread logically, if you fall into something, that means you haven't really thought about it a ton. Maybe you don't have a super strong point of view on what it is. And so the expectations of others imprint on you and you become that thing, if that makes sense. I mean, Nolan, we talked about this with Patty in episode one. It's not just the expectations of your HR boss, 
But some of these HR people get thrashed around by the very different multiple sets of expectations by the freaking employees. Like I've seen HR people get rattled. Like an employee is like, you are this, you should be this, you should be a therapist, you should be, right, we talked about knitting HR sweaters last episode. Like you should be the mother hen and that's the job. And I've seen that in- impact people, right? And I do think there's an element of having your feet cemented in with a very strong point of view on what this job is or isn't. And I think people get swayed. I think both of you present valid points. I think I agree with elements of what you've both said. I think where my mind goes is in two directions. Um, One being around that intentionality piece and adding to that. I don't think that there's a whole lot of formal education around the concept of HR. I think to your point, Kelly, people get thrown in, right? And it's sort of like figure it out. And I don't want to hear about this. Just make the problem go away. There's no intentional, let's think about what an effective HR philosophy looks like. Let's think about how to effectively manage emotions in the moment. There's none of that. It's just sort of like, oh, that's that's an HR thing. You go handle it, right? Uh, oh, you did a bad job, but I'm not going to give you any specifics as to why. Just like go fix it next time, right? So I think there's a bit of that, right? There's not this education. There's There, there just isn't very much in terms of support and guidance and intention. I think my spicier take, which I always try to be really careful in my wording here because I think it could land poorly and be received incorrectly, is I think that there is a gendered element to this. And what I mean by that is if you look at the demographic of the HR function, the majority of us identify as women. Um, Many of us identify as women of color. And the reason that I say that I think there can be a gendered element is if you look around a room of executives, right, there might oftentimes just be one woman in that executive room and it's the head of HR, right? And I think oftentimes what can happen is if someone is not presenting something in a way that lands uh, or that in in a way that that person would have presented it, um, they just dismiss the person, right? Instead of having a real intentional conversation about it. And I think too often this happens to HR people and too often it happens to HR women and too often it happens to HR women of color. I've personally experienced it. I cannot say for a fact that it was because I'm a woman or because I'm a woman of color. But I can say that there is very much a gender dynamic when you are the only woman in a senior room and you say something and everyone just looks at you like that was a dumb idea, but no one explains why, right? And so I think to go back to the point of like, oh, you know, we just get in this silo of, you know, no one's listening to me. You, you just must be on the other side. You don't get it. I think, I think it goes two ways, right? On the one hand, HR, we need to be better at communicating and articulating our thoughts and understanding our audience. And on the other hand, other people need to be better about communicating to us, hey, I thought your idea was dumb, let me explain why, right? I thought you did a terrible job of advocating for your initiative. Let me explain to you why. But no one does that. We just say, oh, you know, that was dumb. I'm just going to tune you out the next time you present something at a meeting, right? And I can't, I can't overlook the fact that oftentimes the people dismissing identify with one gender <laughs> versus another and the people presenting identify with one gender versus another. So I think that we do need to think about power dynamics of all kinds when, when we are talking about, um, when we're talking about HR and in relation to any other uh, department and, and the overall executive team. I, I think that that's excellently said. 
And I would also say in general, humans are terrible at giving each other constructive feedback. And it's really interesting because you would expect as somebody rises at, to be an executive that they get better at this. But in fact, I, I don't think it's actually, they, I don't think they do get better. Uh, and oftentimes they get worse and it comes off as like passive aggressiveness when you're not getting actual feedback on your performance and how you're doing in meetings. What we've actually done at Continuum is we, because people are generally bad at this, we have a backstop, which is every six weeks, we do synchronous feedback with the entire executive team. And so we spend an hour and a half to two hours going around the room. You start with like a self-assessment. It's all, you know, it's just, we're talking, we're not writing anything down. And that has led to not only, I think, improvements in performance, but it's also led to just awareness of how your colleagues are feeling you're doing versus we get into this like really busy mode at work. And then we don't talk about things that we have to actually talk about, especially as a leadership team. It also erodes the trust, right? There, There's a trust element to that and a safety element to your point earlier. That's that's a big deal. I mean, I, I, in my career, I don't know about you, Melanie Nolan, but it's also this like cabal thing that happens. And I, I call it like, do you all have conversations above the table or do you have them under after like in dyad or triad chats or texts? Like, is it all above board or is it this weird thing where like something happens, like people kind of ignore Melanie in a meeting and then like, two other, you know, insecure executive team members get win that maybe Melanie's on the outs. So uh, this, it's real and it's, it's, it's immature and these are executives and these are adults, but I'm telling you the insecurities, sometimes the greed, sometimes the ego, I don't know, like the cocktail changes company to company, but I've seen it. It's very dysfunctional. And that was like, honestly, my main um, filter I would, I would talk to founder CEOs or vet out new opportunities around this dynamic that you can't really measure and you can barely touch it and feel it, but it's a tsunami when it happens and it's brutal. Couldn't agree more. We were talking about this just before, uh, earlier today, um, in terms of, so I firmly believe that people will fill in the gaps and I think it's just human nature right? We're trying to make sense of things. We want to understand things. And so if something is unspoken, we will fill it in with our own assumptions. And I think it's perfectly understandable. I'm not saying it's right or the, the right approach that people should take, but I think it makes sense that, you know, if some, if I present something and nobody comments or, or people just say like some positive stuff, but they don't have any real conversations, I'm going to fill in the gaps with, okay, either they don't trust that I can take the feedback or they weren't even listening, or they, you know, they've all decided that I'm already bad at my job. You know, I, I'm going to fill in those gaps because no one is saying anything. And so in the absence of communication, all these horrible misunderstandings and assumptions get made. And, and it, it's wild. And to your point, yeah, it doesn't matter how senior you are. We all do this. It, it continues to happen. It, it never, so I have yet to see the, the most senior person. I have yet to see anyone who doesn't fall up to, unfortunately, these really poor habits. So I guess the question is, how do you defend against it? So we, we kind of have like a, a ritual in which every six weeks we do it. Most leadership teams don't give feedback that regularly. I think another thing you could potentially do is just to ask for feedback from your colleagues. 
And I find that for, again, for whatever reason, you know, potentially it is like human ego, which is very fragile. We're so scared to do it and to like put ourselves out there. Um, I think that is a way to potentially defend against not understanding how your colleagues are actually feeling about you versus filling in gaps in it with our own stories because we all tell ourselves stories when we don't know. I'm curious to get your take on that, Melanie. I think, yes, you know, I agree that we should be soliciting feedback and that is the solution. And also, I think the problem is probably a little deeper than that. I think that so many leadership teams are so entrenched in politics and working against each other instead of with each other that, one, I don't think most people want to ask for their fellow execs' opinion because they personally don't even care for it. They're like, you're wrong. I already don't like you. I I think you're bad at your job. You were passive aggressive in that last meeting. Your opinion, quite frankly, doesn't matter to me. And second, I think tied into those politics, right? No, 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 no. This is leverage you're going to use against me. I don't want to be vulnerable with you right now. I'm presenting, you know, a tough front. I think there are actually some some deeper issues that most leadership teams would probably need to work through before they even got to the point of being comfortable asking a question. And I think it's, it's beyond ego, in my opinion. The, the, that's exactly what I was describing, the, this, this like politics gone bad situation. And, you know, I often like we never leave middle school. That's kind <laughs> of like, it's like, Oh my God. I'm like literally looking at my 12 year olds. But you know what? You know what though? I think that at those companies, there's someone who's pushing that agenda. Do you know what I mean? Like that happens Mm. because a CEO is rewarding, right? You took the words right out of my mouth. Like (laughs) it, it always stems from that, right? Are you allowing this to happen? Are you exacerbating it? Are you biased in some exec members versus others? Or, and I will give Todd Olson, Pendo's CEO, a shit ton of credit here. The guy doesn't care. The guy doesn't care where you came from, if you've been there eight years, a month, if you go to dinner and drinks, if you don't. He, he literally, I don't know if it's just a chip in his head is not there. He doesn't play into this. And I think it's phenomenal. I mean, it literally has created an atmosphere where you know that if you politic all damn day long, you're still not going to get leverage because the guy just sees everyone. It's It's... It's great. Um, and how do we create more of that, right? And if you don't have that microchip or not have it in his case, I don't know which one. Um, how are you leaning on your, your HR leader, someone that you trust to, to call your stuff out and make sure that it's healthy? Because once that room becomes unhealthy, it all flows down from there. I, I totally, I, that's exactly the question I was going to ask, which is when you don't have somebody like Todd, who's the, the CEO. I think what you're describing, Kelly, by the way, is an idea meritocracy, like to where it's just about the ideas and the merit of those ideas versus where they come from or who said it. That's, that's, that's where I think it gets really toxic is like, oh, only ideas from this person are okay versus like we evaluate all ideas on their merit. When you don't have a Todd as your CEO, then how do you solve that problem? In my mind, it's basically just like, you have to try and terminate the person who's causing the toxicity or leave. Am I missing something in that logic? Well, I would, I would add that I don't actually think it's just about being a meritocracy. I think it's about having a clear and aligned vision, which I know sounds very frou-frou, but I mean very specifically, right? I think most companies... 
there's a tendency to favor one department over another. So the sales team is the most important or the engineering team is the most important, right? And and I think that 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 then stirs up these issues, right? Like, yeah, but how does this benefit the sales team? How is this ultimate, do you know what I mean? As opposed to, no, 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 we are a united team and we have a company goal. How is any idea that we are presenting ultimately helping the company? Because if a sales leader comes in and they say, we want to do X, Y, and Z, but then the CS team is going to fall apart because they can't support this thing that you are asking them to do. Or the engineering team can't keep up with what it is that you're asking them to produce. Then you have other problems start to fall to, to come into play and things start to fall apart. I, I think uh, where it needs to start is, do we are we as a company aligned on what our singular goal is and how it is that we get there? And then any idea that gets brought to the table needs to needs to ultimately feed into that goal, not not be pitting us against each other. Right. Right. And, and, you know, it, sometimes not, but usually, right. If you ask that founder CEO, like, what is this? Well, they're not good. They're not performing. Well, that that's fine. And that very well may be true, but that's a different conversation and a different how than what might be going on with this phenomenon that we're talking about of either ignoring them or avoiding them. Right. And it's just not, it's just not a good way of doing business. Because what does that do? It actually impacts the business. I mean, you look at people feel like they've been treated wrongly, right? Now we have lawsuits. Now we have wrongful terminations. Now we, I mean, it just doesn't lead to good things all around. I will say when there's a performance issue, it is important that you act really quickly, as quickly as possible, and as transparently and directly as possible. Uh, at Athena, we have, so we have these three questions that we have all managers ask themselves of their teams every, I don't know, like, let's say once a quarter or periodically, but the idea is they know these in the back of their mind all the time. Um, it's, is this person ultimately making my job easier or harder if I could go back in time, knowing what I know today, would I hire them again? And if they were to quit today, how would I feel? Panicked, relieved, neutral? And the idea of that is to remove that emotional element. Because oftentimes if you ask someone, is someone a high performer? You get all these like hemming and hawing, like, well, well, this, they're really good at this, but you know, they're really nice. And well, they, they're good for morale. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not, I didn't hire them for morale. I hired them to get the job done. So tell me ultimately, are they getting their job done? And so we found that these questions are a really good starting point to sort of eliminate some of that emotion. Uh, but but I will say, I think the most important thing is it helps you act quickly because, you know, I've seen some real horror stories where you think you're doing someone a favor by dragging it out, by sugarcoating it. And meanwhile, this person is miserable. Their morale is being consistently beat down for months. Sometimes I've seen it go on for years where they're just being told like constantly, here's everything you did wrong. Here's everything you did wrong. But we're not explicitly saying you're not meeting expectations. Your job is on the line. If you're not if this isn't turned around in two months, you're not going to be here anymore. It doesn't help anyone. Um, and so, yeah, I will say when those performance issues start to creep up, you just got to say it. You got to rip off that Band-Aid. And not just for the not, – not just for that employee – it's also for everyone else on the team who's having to carry their weight because they're not doing the work for the manager who's having multiple endless conversations about this performance issue when that manager could be doing so much else. And for that employee who, quite frankly, it could even be that this is just not the right company for them and they would be thriving somewhere else, but you're not giving them that opportunity because you're stringing them along. There are just so many problems that come into play when you're not direct and upfront and quick with performance issues. You wrote an article about this titled The Cost of Tolerating Underperformance and Overlooking Your High Performers. And I'm, what was the insight for you writing that article? 
Oh, so yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, in full transparency, Athena is a company that prides itself on high performance. Uh, and it's part of our compensation philosophy. We pay top of market because we, requ we require top of market performance. That, that is the deal, right? We're going to pay you a lot of money, but you better be the best of the best. Otherwise, you can't stay here. And we're really, we're pretty upfront and direct about this, which I do think for the record is very important. Some companies say this, but then they don't stand by it or they do it, but then they don't tell anyone in the interview process. And then the person thinks they're coming into a regular company, right? Athena is the kind of company where you can't just be okay at your job. You have to be phenomenal. You have to be amazing. You have to be the kind of candidate that our peer companies would be fighting over, right? That's the deal. Now, what spurred this on is we realized that unfortunately, you know, there were a couple of months, well, I would say like half a year to a year where we realized we didn't think that we were actually holding up our end of the bargain. We didn't actually think that we were holding people accountable. We thought we were because we have a feedback heavy culture. Every other Friday, we require managers and direct reports to meet and give each other feedback. And they were giving each other feedback. But we realized that everyone was being just a little bit too lenient, right? You're a really nice person. I can tell that they're trying, but we weren't actually doing the thing. And so, so really what we, we realized was this was having a ripple effect, right? People were upset. People were complaining. Our actual high performers were doing less. Their, their work was impacted because they were upset. They were tired of doing twice the work because the other person on the team wasn't doing their job. And so, you know, in, in full transparency, this came out because we weren't doing what we said we were going to do. And so we really wrote this to sort of like commit to it publicly, but also um, it, it was something that we wanted to put out there to our employees. And so after we did that, we put it out to the rest of the world as well. And it's a resetting of expectations for everybody internally. And it serves as a magnet and deterrent for all candidates externally. Yes, which I think is important. I think oftentimes people think that uh, the interview process is just about selling, and it is a little bit about selling, but it's also about making sure that you're scaring away people who wouldn't do well at your company because, quite frankly, I would rather that you walk away from this process now than walking away three months in because you realize this isn't what you thought you signed up for. So then, I guess clicking in, as it relates to low performance at Athena, do you guys do pips? Do you guys believe in pips or, or do you try and avoid the pip process entirely? This is such, I find that this tends to be so controversial. People feel really strongly about this. Uh, we don't do pips. We don't do pips. And I think personally, my opinion is that most people do pips for liability reasons. They just want to have a thing kind of documented, right? But I think that pips oftentimes can just be an excuse for, I haven't been giving you feedback for a really long time. So now retroactively, I'm going to put it all out there. Um, I also think pips are incredibly demoralizing. It's sort of like, hey, for the record, in like 30 days, we're probably going to fire you. But, um, you know, here's what you can try to do and maybe keep your, I just don't find that to be an effective way to do anything other than to manage. It's totally at, CYA. At yeah, 100%. In which case, you might as well just say, listen, you've got two options. You can try or you can take a separation package. Which one do you want? I don't see why we have to sort of play the song and dance around like, you know, let's pretend that that we actually believe in this. Um, we don't do that. At Athena, we're pretty direct. We we have regular feedback discussions. But when someone's job is on the line, um, our managers are explicitly required to say, you are not meeting expectations. And after a couple of weeks, if things still haven't 
improved, they will say, they're required to say, listen, your job is currently at risk. And if I don't see improvement in the next few weeks, the reality is we're going to be having a different conversation about whether or not you can continue to stay employed at the company. And we do this again for full transparency for so that the person actually has a chance to turn things around to ask questions. And by the way, I meet with people when this happens. Hey, your manager has told me that you're having some performance issues. Let's talk about it. Because for all I know, maybe they're struggling to manage up. Maybe there's an underlying issue that they haven't spoken up about and I can help. But but no, we don't do pips. We just do really candid feedback. And then you know, eventually we make a tough decision if necessary, or people turn things around. And for the record, sometimes people turn things around. Yeah. People used to come to me and say, Hey, I, I want to let go of this employee. I need to put them on a PIP. I'm like, well, okay. Like show me the, show me the documentation or talk me through like the, the feedback and show me the emails, you know, where you summarize that and had some contracts over the past two months or whatever. Oh no, I don't, I don't have those. Well, well that, that is the PIP. So... <laughs> <laughs> that is the tip. We should have another acronym for that. Do you do you ever have a problem with your brand internally, given that that's your stance? Okay, so it's really funny because I just we've just done a round of stay interviews, and uh, I haven't even shared this with employees yet, but it's fine. Uh, uh, we just did a round of stay interviews, and we actually found that um, our rigorous accountability uh, is actually one of the selling points for Athena. People love knowing that everyone that they are working with is really putting in the hard work and that they are not the only one carrying the weight. They love knowing that when there's a problem, we will address it swiftly. Um, Literally, I had employees tell me, I like that when someone is underperforming, we don't let it go on for too long. They like it because guess what? Who, who, who is impacted by their underperformance? They are. Exactly. And so they actually really, really appreciate And think about it. I mean, let's be real. How many times have you worked at a company, you look around the room and you know that person's slacking, that person didn't do the thing. Why am I busting my ass when these other people aren't? What's the point? It's demoralizing. And so, yeah, we, we actually really haven't had it. Now, have certain people maybe not applied to work at Athena because of this? Probably, but we think that's a good thing, right? Like, that's good. Thank you for knowing that this is not right for you. No worries. Let's find a better company for you. No, again, totally fine. I mean, back to the executives when we started this conversation, back, like not great about giving feedback. I mean, feedback is just, it's amazing how easy it is when you're just direct, but also just talking to the person like a human, right? Direct, but equal. Hey, like, what do you think? I, I'm concerned. This isn't working. What do you want to do? Versus, da, 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 you are missing. You. I mean, it's just that sometimes the approach and the tone is most of it. It's not actually the feedback or the outcome. Totally. And I will say, most people kind of suck at feedback. <laughs> they just don't know how to go into specifics. They lead with emotions. It's very vague. You know, it's, yeah, again, going back to my manager, you're just not empathetic enough. What, what does that mean? And how is that tied into the business? How's that part of my job? You know, I think most people just, they're not specific enough. And so then understandably, that person can't even receive the feedback. Yep. So, well, it's not the most enjoyable of topics. No. I mean, it's, just it, as humans, it's it, not exactly. like, I'm going to wake up today and do this. It takes a lot of energy for people. It, it does, Kelly. But we, like humans, when, when we don't get excited about something, especially like the, the tougher topics, we tend to try and like put them under the rug and just kind of like hope they go away. And it's actually way worse in that world totally. than it is with totally. fucking dealing with it. And I know. And, I have a saying. It's lean into the awkwardness and try to have a little fun. You have to it. do it. It's just part of the deal. To do it. Uh, Melody, I want it. Speaking of brand, 
you now have more than 35,000 followers on LinkedIn. I feel like you're a part of this newer age leader that is using social to amplify not only your own personal platform, but also your company's platform. Talk to us about like, like how, how do you do it? How, do, how did you grow so fast? And what, what does this look like? What are the big takeaways for our audience? Let me start with the disclaimer that uh, I'm not a social media person. Like in my personal life, I don't do Instagram. I don't have TikTok. It's not for me. It's not for me. I didn't. Honestly, it was terrifying posting on LinkedIn. Um, I did it to your point for my company because I wanted to help build brand awareness. I realized that the audience we're selling to is the audience I'm connected with. And so that's really where it came from. Um, and I'll be honest and go a step further and just say, I didn't think I had much of value to share, you know? And, and, and here's the thing. I think that's really common in HR because, again, when we succeed, we just don't hear anything in response. That's a successful initiative. Nobody complained, right? And so a lot of the thoughts that I put out there on LinkedIn, to be honest, I'll share with my employees and they'll be like crickets, no responses. It's fine. No big deal. Um, but, but, okay. So to answer your question, you know, I think, I think, uh, it's really important to think about why it is that you're putting yourself out there on LinkedIn because there are pros and cons, right? I think sometimes it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster, as is anything with social media, right? You start to sort of um, look at the likes and you look at the reshares and you start to measure your own sense of worth and self-value based on that. Um, and I think, unfortunately, um, sometimes people go into it just to, you know, get LinkedIn famous or whatever. And I get it. I get it. But I think people can feel that and they see that. And I think it tends to be a harder struggle. A lot of times people just do polarizing things. That's what I'm going to do. And, um, you know, that that only has so much runway. And also you need to think about your future employability and the, the, the content that you were putting out there and how people are going to receive that. Um, for me, it's been a really incredible journey of just being able to be more thoughtful around the things that I do and why I do them. Uh, in particular, you know, sometimes I'll have a gut, you know, a knee-jerk reaction to something. Maybe I don't like something, but I don't know why I don't like it. Or maybe, quite frankly, an employee pisses me off. And I'm like, oh, why, why am I so angry about this thing? I really shouldn't be. And the process of writing it out has been incredibly helpful. And that's really what LinkedIn has been for me is to just like put my thought processes out there and really think through some of the things that sometimes I'm wrong about. Um, but, you know, I just had that emotional reaction. And so, um, yeah, putting it out there on LinkedIn is really helpful. I, I will say I met you at HR Transform. I don't know if you remember this, but I met you and Roxanne. You guys were at your, your booth. And you and Roxanne were actually jamming on a LinkedIn post together. Were we? And I, so I've us. never seen like a CEO and CHRO do this. Obviously, it's core to your growth and how you guys are building a business. But what I find most interesting about your content is it's authentic and it's real. Yeah. It's not this yep. like fluff bullshit thing. Um, and I think that's my take on why you've grown so fast is because you're actually saying things that it's it's less about controversial and like trying to like spread that way. It's more of just like, this is the real stuff that's going on. Let me put it into the world to get other people's perspective and takes. And watching you and Roxanne do it in real time was, it was a really cool experience for me because I was like, I think that this is like the future of how a CHRO and a CEO actually works together because social growth is huge. 
Fingers crossed, and you're not wrong. Um, we have m- made so many new customers through LinkedIn. I've made so many new connections and learned things. And I will say, I think you're exactly right. I think oftentimes, unfortunately, in the HR world, we use these really broad, generic terms like, you know, uh, you know, best in class culture or like, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I, I can't even think of it. Like performance something, you know, and it's just- HR bingo. HR bingo. Yeah. It's just like all these vague things. And it isn't the reality of what we deal with day to day. Like, I want to know a very specific thing. Like, for example, when's the last time that you spent three months working on a project that your leadership team okayed only to veto it at the last minute, right? It's like these very specific things that people can identify with. And I think, I think you're exactly right. I think that's why people vibe. I will also say all the credit in the world to Roxanne as my CEO because what you saw in real time is real. Like that happens all the time. We are vibing with each other. We genuinely respect each other. We hype each other up. I will comment and repost her stuff. She will comment and repost my stuff. And I think quite frankly, people are hungry for that. They're hungry to see that, oh, a head of HR and CEO can actually get along, can actually support and empower each other. I just, I, I think it's a rarity to be honest. And problem solve and problem solve together. And so just really fast on this one. Is there anything special you did in the interview process with Roxanne to vet that relationship? You know what? Um, so I'm going to be completely candid and say, I don't think that I asked spicy enough questions in the interview process. So I'll tell you the questions that I think I should have asked, and then I'll tell you what actually happened, okay? So I think- So you're telling us you, you just got lucky. I got, got lucky. lucky. I got <laughs> lucky. So, so I think the questions I should have asked are, you know, what value do you think that the the people team brings to a company or why are you hiring this role or give me a time when you disagreed with a head of people and how you manage that disagreement? I think I should have asked questions like that. Um, instead, I just got lucky. But But here's the thing that I think I like to think subconsciously I was looking for, which was humility, flexibility, curiosity, because like I said at the beginning, the reality is Roxanne did think that uh, people was just payroll and benefits. And that could have gone really poorly for me if she had been rigid in that perspective. Um, But luckily, over time, you know, I was able to win her over. Now, I will say, I will say, I think it's something to be careful about because the reality is I think, I think most Okay, actually, yes, I do really want to talk about this for a second. So I've been talking to a lot of people in the HR space who are looking for work and really struggling. And I think in in part, I'm hearing, you know, it's because rightfully so they're being a lot pickier. They're being a lot more selective about the kind of CEO and leadership team that they want to partner with. Makes sense. And also, I think unfortunately, it overlooks the fact that the reality is too many leadership teams and CEOs they don't get it. They've never had a good HR partner. They don't know what a good HR partner looks like. They're not aware of the value that an HR person can bring to the team. And so if you are just weeding people out who can't give you a perfect answer, I think you're going to lose out on a lot of potential for good partnerships. I would have lost out on the potential for working with Roxanne because quite frankly, she would not have had a good answer for me. And she would tell you that herself. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. 
I think I think so. And so I think that, yes, we should be asking for these smart questions because, like, wouldn't it be amazing if you did find a CEO who already knew this? That checks all the boxes, yeah. Yes, yes. But in the absence of that, what if instead you checked for people who were flexible, people who were curious, people who wanted you to teach them? I think that that could open up significantly more doors. What do you think about back-channeling a CEO, right? That, that checkbox. I'd love, I mean, both of your opinions on that. I think, I think it's a helpful data point. Yeah, it's, I think it is just really fast on what Melanie just said. You're describing intellectual nimbleness. And I don't know how to assess for that. And I think for Kelly's question is right. Is like maybe back channels is, is potentially the best way, but Melanie, I'm curious, like, how do you think about assessing for intellectual nimbleness during an interview? Well, I think you could do two things. You could test them on the spot. What's a big thing that you're working on? Well, if I was here, this is what I would do. What do you think? And just see what their reaction is in the moment. Obviously, in any interview, people can present themselves differently, but you can see in real time what their response would be. I think the other is you'd have to think about real thoughtful behavioral questions around this. Maybe put it in terms that are... uh more relatable, more easily relatable to them. Think about it in terms of how they might have handled this with a sales leader that they were in disagreement with, for example. Um, Because if you can see that they were curious about their sales leader, about someone else, I I think you can start to um, pick that up. I think also really important talking to the other members of the leadership team to see what they think about the the nimbleness, uh, 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 the intellectual nimbleness and curiosity of the CEO. Uh, to the question of back-channeling, I will share because somebody recently changed my mind on this. I, for a long time, was adamantly against back-channeling. Um, I think there are a lot of you know challenges and risks with that. I won't get into it. But I will say somebody did convince me and say that you know once you're at the exec level, back-channeling is fine. Because you know what? At that point, you've had plenty of time to build your credibility, to not burn bridges, to do the right thing, to build a reputation. I think if you want to back channel CEO, they've put themselves out there. You know, that, that, that I think at that point, it, it's totally fine. Interesting. So you're saying for non-execs, you don't like, you don't like back channeling as a practice. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Do I, am I saying that there are never exceptions or times when maybe somebody should do it? Uh, I don't know. It's case by case. But is it my go-to? Not, not particularly. Why, though? It's such a great data point. I think there's a lot of risk for bias, especially a junior-level employee. I think, you know, if you think about what if it's just a pissed-off manager? What if it's a gender dynamic? That person hasn't had a chance to build up their credibility, to have enough experience and opportunities to have somebody who can vouch for them positively. I think the more junior you get, the riskier it is. And also, I think the more junior you get, you can get that information from the person directly that you need. I totally agree. I mean, when I was 30, if I got back channeled, but if someone back channeled me now, I am who I am for the last seven, eight years. So I I think that that is true. Melanie, give me feedback on this. So one of the things uh, I, I, I agree that back channeling can ultimately get a biased take, but one of the things I like to do with candidates is to tell them we're going to back channel them. And just to stop talking. And by doing that, I tend uh, tend to find that candidates will immediately fill in the gaps of like, no, don't do that. And and here's here's why with a really good reason. 
or like, yeah, you should do that. And like, here's a couple of people you should talk to. That for me is like quite an illuminating process. Do you think that removing the asymmetry of like, you know, the employer is going to back channel and it's like this secretive process would, would potentially alleviate the bias concern? Yeah, I think so. I think the transparency and directness and giving them the space to say something helps a lot. I do think that you would have to facilitate that a little bit and not just rely on that person speaking up. You know, some people might be, might just like freeze up and not say, I'm going to explain myself, right? Be like, hey, I'm going to do this for the record before I do this. You know, do you have any questions? Is there anything that I should know that you haven't shared yet? If you did that, I would feel much more comfortable with the process. Or, fo- or folks we should avoid talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, Melanie, I want to transition into our talent rules section. And so the first question is, uh, what is the best interview question that you use to get signal on candidates? Ooh, okay. My favorite question is, um, so it's sort of a play on like, you know, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made, so on and so forth. Um, it's... Um, what is a time that you received feedback? You know, what's the worst? Uh, how? Uh, oh gosh, I'm like flubbing it right now. Um, what, what's a time that you received feedback poorly? But I think the follow up question is the most important part, which is ex- walk me through your thought process on why that feedback was so hard for you to receive and why you handled it so poorly. Because I think the why is more important. Like we've all received feedback poorly in the past. I want to understand what your triggers are. I want to understand what you're sensitive about. I want to understand what context will throw you off and how you handle like that's what I'm curious about not the mistake that you made but more about like the why what drives you that's damn good I love that I like it too tell me about the best hire you've ever made and why oh gosh that's such a that's such a hard one I think there's so many good hires I, I will say there's a special place in my heart for um, my first ever hire when I became a manager and I, I think I got something so special with her that to be honest I don't know that I've ever been able to replicate in exactly the same way she was just so hungry for knowledge she was just so hungry to, to learn new things and I think in part because she was so junior and fresh, like she was straight out of college. She was like, teach me all the things. And I think that gets harder the more senior you get because people have already been biased and influenced from all their other experiences. I think, you know, the, the more senior you get, people are already their own people. <laughs> They're a, it's a little bit less uh, less easy. It's a little bit harder to sort of um, mold them into something different. Um, this the, it, Being able to hire someone junior and really be their first experience and influence, I think it's an incredible privilege and it really can reap such great rewards. Melanie, this was incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your learnings with us. Before we let you go, it's it's coming into 2024. Do you have any advice for people leaders going into next year? <sighs> my question, uh, my my thought, my recommendation would be twofold. One, find your space for release. I think there's a lot of pent up stress and bitterness, as we talked about. And sometimes I think we release these places in the wrong, at the wrong time in the wrong place. I think find your place for release, whether that's your own people community, whether that's at home with your friends. And then two, put aside the emotion and focus on the solution in a really logical way. If you're, you know, if your leadership team has been, you know, shooting down all your initiatives instead of saying, oh my gosh, why do they never listen to my initiatives? Why not just say, hey, I haven't been able to convince you in the past three times that I've rolled out an initiative. 
be straight with me. Why not? What would have made it better? How could I have won you up? Instead of getting up in our heads and sort of uh, wallowing in what's not working. And again, I have empathy. I understand why it happens. Realizing that that's not going to solve the problem. Pause and have a real conversation. So well said, Melanie. Thank you so much for spending the time. Thank you, Nolan. HR Heretics is a podcast from Turpentine, the network behind Econ 102, Moment of Zen, and Turpentine VC. Subscribe, five stars, share it on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, all the things.